Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. StrikeDeck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The StrikeDeck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. For over 15 years, I've been a sales, marketing, and customer success executive, and my career is primarily focused on early and growth stage tech companies. The Success League works with leaders in companies of all sizes and stages. We're really lucky to be joined today by Evan Adams, currently serving as the National Sales and Partnerships Lead for No Wait, which is a division of Yelp. Evan joined No Wait back in its early days and served in various positions throughout its growth and eventual sale to Yelp. And he's going to share that journey with all of us today and talk about what he learned along the way. Before we get too far into that discussion, I'd like to say welcome to Evan. And can you please give the listeners a little more background both on yourself and on No Wait? Well, thanks, Kristen. Uh, happy to join the call and, and the, the, uh, the radio today. Absolutely. I'd love to dive in. Uh, my journey into customer success was one that actually started from sales, and I will I'll certainly highlight my journey through NoWait. But but going into into NoWait, I had started a company myself. Uh, we worked with restaurants, and, and that's what NoWait does. Um, NoWait to to give that bio is is an iPad waitlist and guest network for restaurants. And so easiest explanation, Kristen, is any of the restaurants you go to that are non-reservation based. Okay. Restaurants that are mostly casual dining. When you walk into those restaurants, instead of receiving a pager or a buzzer, uh, you'll receive a text message when your table's ready. And over the years at No Wait, we took all those thousands of restaurants that use this service of texting guests and their table's ready, and we put those restaurants into the No Wait app. And so millions of people have downloaded the No Wait app to use the app to see the real-time wait times around them and put their name in line through the app. Oh, that's great. So So can you do that from your car, or do you have to be standing at the restaurant? Well, you can do that anywhere. Uh, Oh, nice. So we we work on a couple unique things, like there's all the fun catchphrases in the industry of geofencing and some different ways of how restaurants like to engage uh, you know, clients and, and guests in certain areas. Some restaurants like a, a broader span of 10 plus miles. Some prefer something within less than a mile. Um, so what, what is geofencing? Tell me about that. Well, that is the process of when, when you have a current or I should say a current location enabled. So you've seen those prompts on your phone to enable yeah. current location services. Yeah. When you allow an app to do that, and, and no way it utilizes this functionality. When you're looking at your restaurants and you're thinking, hmm, I'm going to go down to, uh, let's see, I'm going to go to the, the South Bay and I'm going to figure out somewhere to, to eat. Um, 
your current location services are enabled with no wait, and we understand where you are as a guest. And oh, so among, got it. among okay. all the various restaurants in the area, uh, we can a restaurant can say, hey, if someone's outside of four miles from my exact location, I don't want them to be able to have uh, access to our wait list. And we can set a settings for that, or we can adjust that and maybe expand it. Uh, usually more rural areas prefer an expansion. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks for explaining. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the, the short bio of how I got into that was I being one of the early no wait uh, folks, as you mentioned, I was the first salesperson at No Wait. And when when I say that, I mean, there were five people in our whole business and I was going door to door. And the way that I quickly moved into customer success is that certainly everybody had to wear all the hats. Anytime we, we would sign a client, I was also the one to manage them. But I became the product expert. And so as we formulated positions that would eventually become customer success manager and title, uh, formulated positions that would be a sort of sales engineer. I filled those roles because I understood the product uh, well. I understood both the no-weight product, but also the implementation of the product into restaurants or clients. And, and it became a little bit more scalable for me to focus on the uniqueness of understanding both client operations and our product while training other new hires into a more transactional sales role. Okay. That makes sense. So let's dive in. Can you give us an overview of the time that you spent with No Wait? the different roles you had there and the different teams that you managed while you were there, what was the overall timeline between the startup phase and then the sale to Yelp? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, so the, let's, let's go with timeline first and, and I'll okay. fill in you know, my, my story along that. Uh, so no, it was officially founded in late 2010 and I started with them in what was Valentine's Day, actually. I remember I was wearing a really cheesy pink tie and, um, you know, when I first met the team. And that was also, I learned quickly uh, that that was not a tie-like team. So I was out of place on many fronts. <laughs> and uh, So that was February 2011. Okay. And, um, and we, we grew in August of 2012 after some rough months, uh, you know, ups and downs where, you know, sometimes paychecks weren't as plentiful as you'd hope. Uh, yeah. We ended up with our Series A in 2012, and at that point, we had grown from zero restaurants to 250 restaurants. Uh, we did uh, That's raise really a, pretty good. Yeah, it was. You know, when you took a step back from August 2012 and looked at the last 18 months, it really was good. Uh, 2011, year one, was arduous, especially the first six or seven months, because you're expecting overnight success. And when you're going a month and you're you're signing up maybe two or three clients, um, it feels like you're never going to get out of it. But you continue to do that and continue to build on what works in both sales and customer success. And when you pick your head up 18 months later, you're in a healthy position. Mm -hmm. So after 2012, the timeline was we did eventually raise a Series B in 2014, and that allowed us to really grow our team. And the sale to Yelp occurred officially on March 1st, 2017. Okay. And yep. And so at that point, I had climbed all the way up the, I call it the client relationship ladder. I was in charge of 
what we call the national sales and partnerships at No Weight. Um, and the journey that I, I went through that was was pretty simple. I actually just followed the natural uh, client evolution at No Weight. So I started as the first small business salesperson. And once we had got up to that roughly 200 uh, client position. So if I go back to the timeline, that's that's 2011. It was mostly sales focused. 2012, I was mostly customer success focused. Okay. And I had I was managing both sales and success. I was hiring just a couple CSMs to go on a one to one relationship with our 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 small business. We called them local sales folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, managing both those teams, and then one of the beautiful things about a startup is eventually those calls that you've been making to the big clients, the potential enterprise national deals, they started to answer the phone for us in 2013. And I moved forward and I started to run what we called our mid-market sales and our mid-market customer success. I would do the mid-market sales and once we had a few clients, I actually owned those relationships. And we had one key client that came on board with us in 2015 and that was Chili's. Thousand plus well, location. Yeah, that's a big customer. <laughs> it, it it was, and it, they we had identified them in the early days as one of our top three all time targets, and so, and I'm sure there's actually a good bit to go off of the things we've learned on Chili's, but that was a pivotal point for me in my customer success career. Um, it it took us it took me out of for the time being it took me out of more of the transactional approach, or I would say managing many accounts in aggregate and on a personally i was charged with owning the strategic relationship of the chili's partnership while continuing to manage some salespeople uh in some customer success folks so that was a little bit of a player coach role for me and um and over time that just evolved to what what my title is today which is a national head of of our sales and partnerships okay so let's go back and start talk about the startup phase for a moment. You started out as the sales team lead. And when when did you add customer success and what was the driver behind that? It sounds like it was a little bit of a natural progression, um, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. And what were the drivers for the addition of that team? Yeah, I think this is, this is a really good topic because... I actually received this question internally from other folks. Hey, I'm trying to build a team over here. Do you have any advice? Or friends yeah. doing startups and and how did you do it? What were your pivotal points? Uh, you used the, the phrasing of organic and natural. And what I would say is that it wasn't a great business plan. That that was I was always thinking, <laughs> you know, it was I could anticipate that we'll need growth and I I, I built, you know, I was working with a, a coworker of mine who was a former Deloitte consultant and we would sit and look at our spreadsheets, our resource planning. But at the end of the day, those Excel sheets gave us an awareness, but they weren't really what we needed to feel confident about scaling the team. It was for us, it was large opportunities. And so I would go back to Chili's and the other deals like Chili's. We have a few clients that are uh, of similar size or, or near the size of Chili's. And as we developed those large opportunities uh, and we worked hand-in-hand hand with the sales team, we would capitalize and say, okay, now this isn't hypothetical. This isn't if we could wave a magic wand and make everything nice or this isn't Evan's trying to work less, so let's hire more people. This is, 
we now have a real opportunity that by scaling the team, we can ensure success, reduce churn potential, and uh, and be more effective for a mega client like a like a Chili's. Uh, and so, if you look at all the pivotal points that we grew our teams, particularly added customer success managers, those are usually tied to when we were doing large scale rollouts. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings or Texas Roadhouse or Dave and Buster's, uh, we might add one or two heads for each of those. And then the project, the, the growth of the business was that we would just continue to grow up and up from there. Got it. So once you got past that early phase and knew that you needed to scale the organization, how did you go about that scaling? What, how did the roles on the team change and how did the tools that you were using change during that period of time, that scaling phase? Well, I remember moving from what was an inexpensive, user-friendly CRM tool into Salesforce. <laughs> and I thought that you know, I was I was young and, and I, I, I liked the pretty colors of the startup who was trying to compete with Salesforce. And I know that company and I appreciate them. But Salesforce really is a, a powerful tool and we, tr- we migrated to them. And that was, there was some pain in that. And, uh, and I bring that up because at a certain point, you know, I use Salesforce as an example, but it's important to standardize your systems. It's okay uh, especially in the early stages, to have many third-party applications. Some teams using Google Sheets. Other people are using Asana. Uh, some folks are using Desk.com. But it's important to find a way to to bring all of that into one place. And so for us, the answer to that was Salesforce. Okay. And and we utilized a ticketing system, which for us was Desk.com. And, and, uh, and we would try to have all of our client contact information, all of our interactions exist together. And that was a, a big tool change. That was in 2013. We went through a major systems migration all into one platform. But the couple of points that I thought were, were really key when we think of the, the phrase of uh, when did you know you needed to scale and, and what were some, how did you do that? The, uh, aside from actual tools such as Salesforce, we created a policy that not only did every new hire at No Wait need to, as part of their onboarding, go work in a restaurant. So when your first week at No Wait, you would actually, after hours, you'd put on a, uh, you put on the attire and you'd go down to a local restaurant that was one of our partners and you'd work the host stand. Uh, we had mandated frequent retraining at restaurants, and so as we grew the team. It was so important to us to keep ourselves grounded in the shoes of our restaurateurs that uh, that we made it almost like a recurring education requirement that you needed to spend time, especially as a customer success manager that's trying to solve problems for our restaurant operators. You were required to spend time each month in a restaurant, feeling the pains, understanding what those obstacles are, and and that was one of the I would say, systematic tools we put in place that helped us scale culturally as well as in, you know, in our actual uh, knowledge. Got it. So were the restaurants fairly open to having you and your team do that? Yes, surprisingly. I That's would have great because I, I would have thought it would be really busy and they'd be not into that. 
That's what I thought. And yeah. they loved it. The, oh, that's and, cool. And, and it was a requirement across all positions. So our CEO, who's in his 40s and uh, six foot three, and he's working the host stand with 15, 16 year old girls. <laughs> and he's working. I mean, they he yeah. is sitting guests and. And, and we would do it with a couple different clients. We always wanted to make sure we weren't overstepping our bounds. But uh, the restaurants, they loved it. And we would usually, especially when our engineering team, our product team, would spend some time in the restaurants, there's a short list of some, some powerful features that were discovered by our product team that was working a host shift thinking, wow, I've never been in this position. I really think we need to do things this way. And, and so the restaurants loved that reciprocity back to them. I think that's such a great way to get to know your customer. I'm, I'm really excited to hear that you guys did that. And I hope that some of the listeners can take that away and, and think about ways that they can do something similar in their own organizations. I think it, it helps tremendously, especially since you had your product and engineering folks out there working as well. You know, so was this was all gonna... in Pittsburgh? It, most of that was in Pittsburgh. Now we okay. we occasionally uh, we we even had a when we did our Series A investment uh, and we had some good press. We had some a uh, few major investors that were from outside of Pittsburgh, so we set up mm-hmm. you know, some other uh, other restaurant and trainings for them. So we tried to make it exhaustive. Anybody associated with us, board of directors, was uh, you were you were training in a restaurant. Um, what I was going to say in regards to that. Uh, your comment, Kristen, is that yeah. in any, I was just talking with some friends who are in a totally different industry than me. They're working in robotics and, and um, in more of an industrial space. And we were talking about the need to really be able to have empathy for your clients. And it comes over time. One of the things that we actually did is you can look for people uh, myself, I'm, I'm one of them who over time had to learn what it was like to be a, a restaurant operator. But we also found some amazing people that were former restaurant operators. And so if you would look at the No Wait Customer Success team today, the majority of them have restaurant operations experience. And mm-hmm. it creates a rapport on all of their calls because they're able to use genuine phrases like, when I was a host at the restaurant or when I was managing hosts at a restaurant or a couple years ago when I was trying to figure out inventory from these pain points that all the operators understand that you don't really get unless you work in a restaurant, the team, the team has an empathy with. And I think that, that even outside of the industry, when you're thinking about customer success managers, one of the places to, to start when you're trying to build a spec is take a look at the industry itself. And uh, I, I challenged a, a friend of mine who was trying to, to hire success managers. I said, if you would go to a client and you met your day-to-day champion from the client, and he was the best personality for you you could ever imagine. He knew everything about the operations of your client, but he also really understood your product. That's the guy you want to hire. You want to find him, her, and hire that person. Don't steal them yeah. from your client. Can't say that. <laughs> but you know, when, you, when, when you find no the stealing. right person at the right time, it, yeah. it really can be a magical thing. That's great. Um, so 
Do you have any mistakes that you'd be willing to share with the listeners? You've shared some really good success stories, but I know um, most most people, as they're going from that startup to growth phase, make at least one or two mistakes. Anything that you would be willing to share um, so that other leaders could avoid that? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. I When I, I shared my story, which was moving from team to team, mm-hmm. and one of the things I'm still learning, but I can look back on the last seven years and, and, and see the points uh, that I would, I would alter on this if I would go back. I became attracted to this shiny object. I, I used the phrasing earlier of I went from local sales to local success, mid-market, all the way up to national. And I, at some points, began to think that success was moving on to the next most shiny object uh, thing. So it was moving from you know, moving up from local, and now I'm really making progress because I'm going to do national. The reality was to be more content where I was, if I look back, there are a handful of components for each team that I left not complete. And that was, I mentioned systems integrations we went through in 2013. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing. Before I moved on from the the local portion of our business, there was still some more work to be done on the systems integration. And in hindsight, if I would have said, you know what, I don't need to go work on the mega clients, we can find the right people to do that. I need to make sure before I move on from local, everything is teed up for success. I left it at maybe 85% done. And I did that again in mid-market. And yes, sometimes those sacrifices were needed for growth. But I, in my, in my opinion, looking at my story, when you're growing quickly in a scaling phase, I, I caution myself and I caution friends, watch out for that desire to simply climb the ladder, if you would, and instead be really content where you are and work as hard as you can to make exactly your position as complete and successful as possible. I think that's some great advice. I think um, I see a, a real trend, of especially here in Silicon Valley, where everything is very fast-paced. Um of people wanting to move really quickly through the phases of their career. And I think you miss a lot of stuff when you do that. You miss a lot of great learning. You miss a lot of opportunities. And, and so I think that's some great advice for folks. Thank you. Um, what did it take to move the business from the growth phase to a sale? And what involvement did you have in that acquisition process by Yelp? I was involved and I was not involved in every single aspect of it. The, the primary thing we needed to show was, you know, I, would say, I would say it this way, we needed to show our, our acquirers something unique. Uh, and, and when we look at what was unique about NoWait compared to any competitors we had, it was we had cracked the code on building a guest network. So not only did we have thousands and thousands of restaurants using the NoWait service in their restaurant, we found the right type of marketing and guest engagement to have 5 million plus downloads of the NoWait app. So, so that was unique. We also had customers that truly loved us. And when you look at the restaurant industry, whether it's similar to similar product to us or point of sale systems or food vendors, 
there's a, a love-hate relationship often between restaurants and vendors, and mm-hmm. it's because it's a high-stress environment. It was unique that our restaurants generally, of course, we, we made our mistakes with clients, but um, it, generally, our clients really loved us. And, and when to answer your question about how were you involved, Evan, that's what came into play. When you began to review our business, they discovered that particularly national and mid-market accounts loved no weight. And so Yelp's business is almost entirely small business focused. Yelp's tagline is connecting guests with great local businesses. Mm-hmm. So as they're trying to expand their their uh their business by tapping into some of those big brand names that we've we've already mentioned, Chili's and in Texas Roadhouse and First Watch. Mm-hmm. For us to already have a blueprint of how we manage those clients and win those clients to begin with uh, was important. So, so my role was to come in and explain what do we do? How do we manage them? What does it look like to manage a strategic account of a thousand plus locations? And what does it look like to manage an account of 50 locations? What type of team is necessary to do that? And what's the right tactic? Because in Yelp's world, they're selling ads. That's, that's the primary revenue. And in our world, we're selling to operations, not the yeah. marketing team. Yeah. And so when we brought in that expertise of how to strategically both sell and manage relationships in the operations world of businesses... That was one of the unique identifiers of no weight compared to our competitors. And that's where I came into the investor, I should say the acquisition conversations to share that business plan. Got it. So this might be a little bit of an awkward question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, Did any of your teams survive the acquisition? And if so, what has that cultural transition been like for them? Um, And what has it been like for you? Yeah, we've had, it has been the most amazing, I mean, it's only early September, let's see, it's been six, seven months since since the acquisition, and it has been the most amazing experience to learn uh, how how culturally the acquisition would affect a, a team. And so, short, everybody stayed on board. Oh, that's great. We didn't have a single person leave. That was month one, two, and part of three. Uh As we got into month three, that's where things became interesting. We had been rallying the troops for years on startup. We're going to change the world. And while Yelp has the startup culture, at the end of the day, it's a different animal. You're talking about a 5,000-person corporation publicly traded. And to go from overnight on February 28th, we were 50 people. Or, and on March 1st, we were 5,000. So It's a big change. Uh-huh. So we have had uh, – now, the no, I should say it this way. The No Weight team has grown at Yelp. We are larger than 50. Uh, we are seeing growth hiring. But in terms of the original No Weight team, we have seen attrition of folks in a very amicable way moving on into the next business endeavor, 
Uh, some people have really wanted to do another early stage opportunity. Some folks have taken the opportunity as just a natural launching point to go somewhere else. And, and it, culturally, it's that moment of if you're so motivated because you're with your what becomes your startup family and you accomplish a goal, well, now what's next? And for some people, they fully bought into the, we believe in what Yelp's doing. Um, for other people, they said, no, I really like to have this high risk, high reward scenario. Um, so that's, that's been everybody else. I'm happy to, to share a little bit more about, about my experience too. I um, didn't, didn't know if you had any more questions before I, I shared some no, of my No, go story. for it. Yeah, for me, it, it, it builds right off of your earlier question, which was my role in the acquisition. I came in and within my first three weeks, I met some of the top, I'm working alongside the top national folks in the entire Yelp organization, the, the, the executives that are overseeing anything related to national names, partners, and brands. Mm -hmm. And I have had this phenomenal opportunity to... Uh, to work alongside great strategic leaders and be immediately impactful. Uh, it's been referred to the national sales and partnerships and customer success world. It's been referred to within Yelp as the startup within the corporation. Okay. So, so in that That's vein, pretty fun. Yeah, it's been because it takes away some of that. I know the stress of you know, not receiving a paycheck from the startup yeah. because you literally <laughs> don't have money. You know, it, take, it takes right. away that stress. Um, yeah. And so the way it, the way it sort of shakes out shakes out for me over over time is you know I'll get to that point as well where I I'll decide okay I think you, you, to be transparent I think you know I have a a wiring to do more of a, a startup oriented thing and so I get to I get to be a part of a startup within a corporation and you know I'm I'm thematically you measuring you know myself on the same lines which is this is this is great i'm learning i'm i'm in a, a healthy environment where i am supported but challenged and and then at some point you look for the right opportunities uh to maybe do something in the more startup uh, early stage world if that makes sense uh you know but for now i get to to be the startup within the corporation cool yeah and that uh pressure to to get a paycheck <laughs> is, is gone and that's got to be nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. That just happens at the big companies. Um, how did you transfer knowledge from no wait to Yelp in terms of customer success? What, what changes took place? And I, I would imagine you're probably still in progress right now on that. That is verbatim what I was about to say. It is okay. <laughs> still in progress. Okay. And the, the success points as a matter of fact, I, I, I just uh, flew home from a uh, couple of company events, and one of those, to, to create a theme here, was our customer success team took the new product hires uh, from a different office. So we had some customer success folks that are based in Pittsburgh, okay. and we went to our product folks that are based in San Francisco, and we took them for a day out to a restaurant. And okay. I don't know if the product team thought they were just getting lunch, but man, they were on their feet for five hours side by side with the host team at the restaurant, talking to guests, iPad in hand. Uh, we had an absolute blast showing the engineering team 
uh, what it's like to be in a restaurant. And, That's great. And it really, when you talk about knowledge transfer, that it, it's such a great forum because it's one thing to sit at a whiteboard and try to just do a an exhaustive overview. It, it, some people do enjoy learning that way. But while we have done those sessions and we've, we've done the let's lock ourselves in a room for three hours, buy some food, and just talk it out, we've done that for sure. Putting rubber to the road has been – the feedback this week was, wow, all these things we've been talking about in the last three, four, five months, they make sense now that we've been in the restaurant with you. Now that we understand what it's like to be an operator, we understand some of the pains – we we understand this better, and and so that type of that type of knowledge transfer as it comes to clients has been really key to put ourselves in in the client's shoes, and you know, the other knowledge transfer pieces in general, the history of no weight and so forth. My advice to myself on this every day is patience, because. It is hard for me. I so enjoy the no weight stories. I'll, I'll maybe jump into a call where there's a salesperson who's trying to close a deal and hand off to the customer success team. And, and I can tell, man, if this salesperson only knew this anecdote, they could really implement it here well. And, and so we, every time we see that, we just try to ad hoc, teach some stories, um, but it takes time. And yeah. it's, it's funny, every single person, once they hit the six-month mark, says it's like a light bulb that goes off. All of a sudden, after six months, you start to internalize stories. You have your own. You, you're a veteran. People are asking you for advice. Um, yeah. So we just continue to coach ourselves to have patience. Okay. That's great. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back to the rest of the interview in a minute. I want to let you know about two training programs offered by the Success League. First, we have a customer success leadership program that is designed to help directors and VPs of customer success be more effective in their planning, hiring, management, and communication. I teach these classes, and as a former VP of customer success, I'm sharing the skills and models I learned over years of doing the job. Second, we have a CSM training program for customer success managers who need training on customer success basics or to brush up on specific skills. These classes focus on how CSMs can help customers achieve the outcomes they are looking for through effective planning and communication. Classes are one-hour instructor-led sessions that include discussion and tools that enhance learning. For more information on both programs, you can visit the training page on our website, thesuccessleague.io. I also want to mention a terrific new resource from Strike Deck called The Beginner's Guide to Customer Success. This is a 200-page ebook you can download from Amazon, and it includes a ton of fantastic tips, articles, and exercises to grow your career in customer success. CSMs will find information that helps them get started in the field, and managers will gain tools they can implement to help build their customer success function within their organization. Links for the Success League's training sessions and the ebook can be found in the description of this episode. And now back to our interview. So Evan, what has been the biggest thing you learned going through all of this growth and transition over the past six years? And would you do it again? Yes. I think the, the easier answer there, Kristen, <laughs> is, is yes, I would absolutely do it again. Okay. And it, the, to phrase maybe the biggest thing I've learned, it's that nothing comes easily. Um, 
if I think about, there's just there are a lot of scenarios where I had hoped uh, in a startup that that this project would just come together, or if I just bide my time, maybe I'll get to lead that team or lead that function. And and really, I think maybe one of the notes in the startup or early stage world is that you really have to own your success. And it's not just about your path. It's about your entire company's path when you're in a small team. And so, you know, it's, it's a, a positive mentality to, to really make sure the buck stops with you and, uh, and, and success doesn't come easily. Mm-hmm. So the last question, and this is something, well, maybe not the last question. I have another question I'm going to follow this up with, but the second to last question, and this is something I ask of all of our guests, what do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. The, uh, I think it's a positive and a negative. And that trend right now is that I see the term customer success manager is becoming increasingly generalized. So, you know, typically your CSM is the best athlete on the team. They can do a little bit of sales. They can do phone support. They can almost be a, a sales engineer or a product expert. They can be a strategic client manager. And that's great, especially in a startup phase. You need some of these generalists. But the, the problem that happens is as your team scales – the question is, well, what specifically is customer success as a function going to drive for our scaling and specializing business? Right. And so I think a challenge to the industry today is to make sure that you are being thoughtful about what customer success is going to do for your business. And and I think that that trend, again, it's a double-edged sword there, Catch-22 and I think the companies that can really figure out how customer success is a strategic part of their long-term business, those are going to be the companies that we'll look back on in five to 10 years and say, these guys got it right. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, it's it's also, I think, in my opinion, okay for customer success to look different at different companies. Uh, and I, is, I think as long as, like you said, they've been thoughtful about what they have customer success doing and they're very clear on what the goals are within their own organization and they realize it may not look like, you know, another SaaS company or, you know, another traditional industry, um, it, you know, as long as they've given it thought, I think that's okay, but you do have to be careful and it should be strategic, like you said. So, Yeah. Um, okay, so here's the bonus question, and this is coming from a place of um, I like Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has a, a special place in my heart because I worked there uh, off and on, um, basically lived there every other week for about six months when I was working for Jazz. So um, I loved it, and I got to know some of the restaurants there. And since you've been in the restaurant business, I would love to hear your thoughts on restaurants in in Pittsburgh. I have a favorite. My favorite is Butcher and the Rye because uh, they have a fantastic bourbon list. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So what are your favorites? Well, uh, in my industry, we tend to go a little bit more casual dining. We're not quite as fancy as, as you at Butcher and the Rye, although that's a, that's a, great, <laughs> that's a great place. Uh, honestly, Pittsburgh has, I think what I'd highlight first is we have a really strong uh, ethnic cuisine community and and we've got some of the we've got some grandmas that make pierogies 
that are just, I think, the best outside of Poland. And we've got some sauerkraut in some of the German restaurants around town. So we've got a lot of specialties. I'm a sucker for breakfast. So I got to say, there's a there's a local chain, about five or six locations called Pamela's. They make some of the best hotcakes, they call them. They're not even pancakes. They're just hotcakes. Some of the best in the country. Uh, cool. And, and uh, I have to say that Surprisingly, Pittsburghers, we are not so much proud of our uh, – we're proud of our, our, our football teams and such. We put, we put fries on our salads. So there, there are <laughs> – there's some restaurants. <laughs> there there's Permani Brothers who has sandwiches <laughs> and we stack our sandwiches with French fries. And so we – You put fries on everything. Everything. So we, we – yes, I don't think we're going to win Very any fitness awards here. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, the the fries on the salad was what I I had to draw the line there. I couldn't have fries on my salad. I am a good Californian, so couldn't do that. <laughs> but the fries on the sandwiches, I have to say, are pretty amazing. They add, well, we're, they add we're a efficient, lot. you know. Yeah, we, we eat it all at one time. Do you have kind of a favorite upscale restaurant that you like? I know that's not kind of what you you've been doing your business in, but I'm sure you've been to a few of them. I, I have, yeah. Um, similar, uh, there, there's a restaurant that uh, is one of my wife and I, we go there maybe once a year for an anniversary or a special occasion. Uh, it's an Italian restaurant that's up on top of the, the hill called Mount Washington uh, that overlooks the city. It's called Alla Familia. And um, it's it's one of the places where you just can't look at the pricing. You just got to do it. And it's it's an absolute dream of a four course Italian meal. So uh, we we do we try to do that maybe once a year, once every two years, just for a, a good outing. Uh, I think it's important to find a place like that that's just sort of a a memorable milestone type type yeah. of, of venue to go to. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. And audience, if you get to uh, Pittsburgh, you've got to eat out there. There are a lot of amazing restaurants there. Um, I was I was so pleasantly surprised because I've always sort of thought of Pittsburgh not having traveled there a whole bunch before my job at Jazz. I always thought of it as sort of a steel town, and I really wasn't expecting much from the food scene. But it is rich and diverse and amazing. The food is really good there. So thanks for sharing some ideas with us. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and thanks for sharing your startup journey today from, um, you know, being there at the beginning to when the organization was sold. So I really enjoyed hearing your story and I'm sure our listeners took away some ideas they can use with their own customer success teams. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, please subscribe to Strike Deck Radio on iTunes or SoundCloud. And finally, thanks for listening to this podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time.